Well, I got a question. Have you ever wondered why God hasn't done something in your life that seems to line up with like his will, with his plan and purpose? You guys ever wondered that? Like you're, you're going through life and you know that, that it's, it's God's will for this to happen. It has to be, right? It makes so much sense, but no matter what, it just doesn't seem to take place. Now, it could be that we're unable to see the bigger picture, right? I get that sometimes. God's all-knowing, all-seeing outside of time and, and it's just unfathomable. Of course, we don't know all that God knows. So that could be the case, right? And, and I get that. Or it could be other things. It could be possible that it's our will, unwillingness to let go. And I think oftentimes it's that. It's not that it's not God's will, that deep down, it's not our will to surrender those things to God, to set them down and let God be God. And we hold on to that because, well, we're people, we're imperfect, and I like to do things my way. I like to live life my way. And even though I'm praying for something, that oftentimes I'm praying, God, Lord, take it away from me. Lord, pry my cold, dead fingers off to this thing and rip it from me. And God's not going to do that. God's not looking to take from us. God's looking for us to give it to him, to let go of it. And so when those things that we pray for that aren't happening, that aren't moving, as much as we want to blame God, I think that we're to blame in those moments. This past week, I had a couple significant moments in my life. Um, and the first was uh, my birthday. And uh, that may sound weird. I know. The, the thing about that, though, is, so I'm 36. I spent 18 years in addiction. I spent 18 years in addiction. And, and now, in my mind, the significance of this birthday is I'm now not taking ground back, but like I've achieved victory. That every day forward now, I've now officially spent more time out of addiction and out of darkness than I did in it. And so that's, that's a great thing, right? And so... I was reflecting back on that, and that just had me thinking about a lot of things. And then I had another thing. I made a post about it earlier this week, and, man, I was just astounded by just the movement it got. I went back to my hometown. I was able to share at my old high school um, just some things that had taken place in my life, and, and that was big. And these things got me thinking. I was like, why, why is this? Why, why me? What's taking place here? Am I special? Is there something important about me? And, and, and why, why is so, everyone so engaged with this? And people like a comeback story. I get that. And then it dawned on me that, that my life, it's not the rule. It's an exception. And it shouldn't be. That, that's the problem. That, that my story should be so common, yet it's uncommon. That the work that God came to do in our lives, it wasn't specifically for Aaron. It was for all of us. And every single one of us in this room should have a story just as profound. And maybe you do. And we should share those things. And so I continued just to think about this and dwell on this. And it, and it bothered me. And it bothered me discontinuously. And so as it was crazy, actually to the point, I was out mountain biking on my birthday on Saturday. And I was biking with my son. And, and I stopped in the middle of the woods. And I couldn't let this thought go. And I pull out my phone. And I actually had a completely different message written up until Saturday. And I felt God just saying, I want you to talk about something else. I want you to talk about this. I want you to change everything. And so right there in the middle of the woods on a mountain bike trail, I began to write this message. And I began to change my direction because I believe, I believe something. I'm not special. I'm surrendered. And, and, and my story shouldn't be 
shouldn't be exceptional, shouldn't be the exception. It should be the rule, right, for every single one of us that would call Jesus Lord, that as we come to him surrendered, that the things that he's done in my life are the exact same things he wants to do in your life, that when we look back and wonder, isn't this God's will? Yes, it is. You're unyielded. That's what's happened. And we hold on to these things, and God's not looking to pry our fingers off of it. He's looking at us to lay it at his feet. And he'll do a significant work in your lives just as he's done in mine. So I'm not special. I'm surrendered. It's our surrender that God gives God permission to move and to work in our lives. He's there right now. That as you're sitting in your seat and you're dealing with those broken places, as you're wondering what's going on in your marriage, what's going on with your children, your finances, that place, that thing that you're praying for right now, God wants to do a work in that. And maybe you're not yielded. Maybe you're not surrendered. But I know this. God wants to move. God wants to work. God wants good things in our lives. God wants miracles to take place each and every day. But we have to hand it over to him. We have to give it to him. And so the title of tonight's message is this. In our surrender. In our surrender. And what I want to talk about. I want to talk about yielding to God. I want to talk about giving it all over to him. It shouldn't happen just at rock bottom. It should happen at the moment of salvation. The moment that, that we call Jesus Lord, we should humble ourselves and hand everything over to him and allow him to begin to move and to work in our lives. As we open tonight, I want to share with you. I want to share with you out of Mark, Mark chapter 6. But before I share that, I want you to know what took place in Mark chapter 5. I encourage you to go back and read this. At the end of Mark chapter 5, Jesus, he had, he had crossed the sea of Galilee. He had dealt with a demon-possessed man. He comes back to the area of Capernaum. As he's walking, um, Jairus comes to him, this synagogue leader, asking Jesus to heal his daughter. In the middle of this crowd, a woman in faith, not even talking to Jesus, reaches out, touches the hem of his garment, and she's healed from 12 years of bleeding. What a miracle, right? What a mighty work of God. Jesus wasn't even aware at the moment. He actually stops the crowd and says, who touched me? I felt my healing power. Leave me. In that moment, Jesus was recognized this woman's faith, and this woman's faith had healed her. And then one of Jairus' servants come, came up and said, don't bother the teacher. Your daughter's dead. And so the miracle that Jairus was coming, it seems so far away. But then Jesus says, you know, she's not dead. She's sleeping. They go to Jairus' house, and, and this girl, she's healed. She's, she's brought back from the dead. And so in Mark 5, we have these two significant events take place. A woman healed of 12 years of bleeding, and then a young girl raised from the dead. And so Jesus is a miracle worker, and we can see this clearly. And then in Mark chapter 6, Jesus goes back to his hometown. In Mark chapter 6, verse 1, it says, Jesus left that part of the country and returned with his disciples to Nazareth, his hometown. The next Sabbath, he began teaching in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. And they asked, where did he get all this wisdom and power to perform such miracles? They scoffed. Think about that. They scoffed at a Jesus who, who just healed a woman, who, who just raised a girl from the dead. And as he comes back to a place where they knew him and knew his history and knew his story, they scoffed at his teaching. Who is this man, they asked. Where did he get all this wisdom and power to perform such miracles, they scoffed. He's just a carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon, and his sisters live right here among us. They were deeply offended and refused. They refused. 
refused to believe in him. They had no faith. And without faith, they couldn't surrender to Jesus in any of these moments. And it continues. And it said, then Jesus told them, a prophet is honored everywhere except in his own hometown and among his relatives in his own family. And in verse 5, and it says, and because of their unbelief, say unbelief. unbelief. Because of their unbelief, he couldn't, couldn't do any miracles among them except to place his hands on a few sick people and heal them. And he was amazed at their unbelief. But as Jesus came back home, he encountered people that were unwilling to yield to his authority, to yield to his power. They were unwilling to recognize who he was. And because of that, Jesus couldn't move. He just healed this woman, raised this little girl from the dead. But as he encounters these people who are unwilling to let go of their unbelief, who are, who are unwilling to let go of their problems, Jesus couldn't perform miracles. And I think this is a picture of our lives. That as we pray, as we ask God to move, Lord, help my marriage. Are you unwilling to let go of the wounds that your spouse caused you, the things in your life? Are you unwilling to let go of your pain? Are you unwilling to let go of your marriage and let God be the center of it? Your children, your finances, your addiction that you're stuck in. Are you unwilling to set it down and you cry out day after day, God, take this from me. He's not looking to take anything from you. He's looking for you to yield, to stop coming to him with unbelief and have the faith to recognize that he can do all that you need him to do if you'll simply let go, yield, and surrender to what he wants to do. Unbelief, it's a lack of faith. And when we lack faith, we refuse to surrender. When I don't trust God with something, I'm not gonna give it to him. There's moments in my life still to this day where people have to call out my unbelief. As I complain, as I get angry, as I refuse to let God be God and things go downhill and somebody reminds me, you don't trust God here. That's the problem. It's not God's unwillingness. It's my unwillingness. It's not God's stubbornness. It's mine. And we got we to gotta come to this place where we have such faith in God that we know that if we truly give it to him, he'll truly move. If we were completely convinced, none of it would be an issue. The more we surrender, the more we gain. And so what happens when we surrender? Point number one tonight is this. God uses what we give him. God uses what, he, what we give him. The brokenness, the pain, the past that you're ashamed of, those things, God will use those if you'll give it to him. What little resources you have, God will use those. Your marriage, that's a wreck, God will use that. Your kids that dislike you or you dislike them, whatever it is, God will use them too. But we have to be willing to hand them over to him, to allow God to move in those areas. Now, I look back at my story and the things that I've been through. For so long, it was just a place of pain. And when I was reflecting this past week, in my last 36 years of life and what God's done in the last five, and I asked myself, what changed? Well, number one, about five years ago was the first time I publicly told most of my story. And when I publicly began to share things with people, the enemy lost his grip on it and God was able to pick it up and God was able to use it because God uses what we give him. Whatever it is that you're hiding 
Whatever it is that you want to keep from everyone else, that thing that weighs you down, it doesn't have to be a burden. God can use it as a blessing, but you've got to give it over to him. And so when I was studying for this, I was reminded of Joseph. And so Joseph, um, he was the youngest of 11 sons. um, And so God had gifted him with incredible dreams. And some of these dreams kind of put him at odds with his brothers because Joseph came to them with dreams where he was ruling over them. In his culture, that didn't happen. Like the youngest was like, they were the bottom rung of the ladder, right? They got, they got stepped on. Everything rolled downhill. It was that type of thing. You know, I know in today's culture, like the youngest is the baby and they're kind of like elevated on this pedestal um, and just kind of worshiped in this weird way. This culture wasn't like that. And so as Joseph came to them, his brothers, they had issue with it. So much so that they could see this favoritism their father had on him. And they actually plotted to kill him. And they threw him in this, this well, the cistrine, and they were going to leave him there to die. And then one of the brothers convinced him, hey, let's sell him. Let's pull him out. And so they sold him into slavery. And so here's Joseph, and his broken story begins. He's done nothing wrong. He's done nothing wrong. He finds himself in slavery in Egypt. And there, he's working through that. He finds favor with God, but he's still a slave in a foreign land. He's lost everything, every reason to be bitter, every reason to take his broken story and to be angry and to go around wallowing in it. Oh, if you only knew the place that I came from and my family, they threw me in a well and they sold me into slavery and and they did this and I've been through this and, and you don't know, you can't relate. That could have been his attitude. I've seen those attitudes, but, but he was faithful. He allowed God to use him where he's at. And so Joseph goes through this and eventually he's in this guy's house, Potiphar. Um, Potiphar treats him well. And then Potiphar's wife begins to come on him and Joseph finds himself in this predicament and he has to run. And then he's wrongfully accused of attempting to rape Potiphar's wife. And so this Egyptian ruler has him arrested. So not only was Joseph sold into slavery, but now he's imprisoned for something he didn't do. And he sits in prison for, for a long time. And again, he could waller in it, but he allowed God to be God to use his situation. And even there in prison, Joseph allows God to use what he's been given. God didn't put him there, but he allows God to use that situation. God didn't cause any of these bad things to happen to Joseph, but Joseph allowed God to use, allowed God to use it. Eventually, he's brought out of prison. And, and through time, Joseph is actually made second in charge of Egypt. And, and he's put in a situation where the same brothers who tried to kill him and sold him into slavery have now come to help him. And through time, eventually, Joseph's dad dies and the brothers are all worried. But, but I love this statement from Joseph. It's in Genesis 50, 19 and 20. As they're worried that Joseph's going to kill him, like dad's dead, surely He's just been waiting. Surely Joseph's like us and he's just been boiling with rage, waiting for the moment to get back. And he's so bitter. They didn't realize that that Joseph operated in forgiveness and just allowed God to use him in every way. But Joseph replied, don't be afraid of me. Am I God that I can punish you? You intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. What an incredible perspective. What an incredible perspective. What did Joseph do? Joseph allowed God to use him because God uses what we give him. Your broken story, your broken situation, your pain, your abuse, God intended none of that for you. 
That didn't come from God. But when we yield to him, when we surrender to him, God redeems those areas of our lives. God lifts those areas up. God allows others to be reached through those wounds, but we've got to surrender it to him. We've got to hand it over. We've got to allow God to be God in those moments. I don't know each of your stories, but I know this, that there's parts of my past that are difficult to talk about. And I don't talk about them because I enjoy it. There's nothing, there's no joy I get out of talking about being molested. But you know what? I get joy out of the way God uses that to open doors so I can minister to other men who have been through the same situation. I don't like to reminisce about drug addiction and I don't talk about it because I wanna relive the glory days. I hate that part of my life and that part of my past. But I talk about it because it gives me entrance so God can use me and use my story to reach people. And that broken area of life that came with so much shame, so much embarrassment, so much guilt, and caused me to wanna withdraw and hide, it becomes this place where people say, look at what God did, because I was willing to hand it over to him. And as we do that, this is what I discovered. We grow and we heal. And those wounds, they get smaller and smaller every day. And those broken areas of my life, they impact me less and less. And I find more and more freedom the more I surrender those things to God and say, here it is, every bit of it, every dark detail. Look at what God did in my life and look at what God can do in yours. And he continues just to utilize it all. God didn't cause it to happen, but God uses it for his good. I love this out of Romans 8, 28, um, or 26, starting in 26. And it says this, and the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for, but the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. And the Father who knows all hearts knows what the Spirit is saying. For the Spirit pleads for us believers in harmony with God's own will. And then in 28, and it says, and we know that God causes everything, say everything, everything, everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. Whatever your past is, whatever you can give him, whatever broken place, as you surrender that, God uses it. The post I had this past week, this, this lady, she, she commented on it. It's such, such terrible thinking. She said this, she said, the first thing that comes to mind in regards to my story and makes me wonder if this might've been God's plan all along, the reason he went through what he went through to help others. The lady's not in this room, so I can say this, that's crap, that's stupid, don't think that. God didn't cause pain in my life. God didn't cause me to be an addict. God didn't cause the hurt and the pain in your life either. But when you look at Romans 8.28, when you look at the story of Joseph, God will use those things if you surrender them. It's already happened. It's already taken place. And you have two options. Let the enemy to continue to have victory there where he hurt you, where he allowed you to be deceived. You allowed yourself to be deceived. You can, you can do that or you can take that and you can shove it right in his face and say, look what God can do with it. And that's, that's the choice. God didn't cause any of those bad things. But I love just to think of that, that, that the enemy meant to harm me with abuse, 
with addiction, with these lies of anger and hurt. And week after week, I get to pick that thing up, that thing he meant to harm me and hurt me. And I get to shove it right in his face and say, look what God's gonna do. Look what God, and that's what God can do because he uses what we give him. Don't allow that pain and that suffering in your life to continue to be used for the enemy because that's what happens. When you keep it a secret, you remain trapped. You remain stuck. But when you get it out in the open, God uses it. He heals you. He reaches people. And it's all to his glory. What a beautiful thing. God uses what we give him. We come yielded. We come in faith. And what does God do with our faith? When we do that, point number two is this. He multiplies our measure of faith. He multiplies our measure of faith. That woman in the beginning, in Mark, as she reached out in faith and touched the hem of Jesus's robe, that, that measure of faith she had, Jesus multiplied it. She was healed. As Jairus came asking Jesus to heal his daughter after she passed, Jesus raised her from the dead, that, that multiplied. They got so much more than they intended, so much more than they were looking for. When we look at Abraham, Abraham in the beginning of our Bible, that God told him he would be the father of many nations. And he was looking for one son, one son. And God took that measure of faith and created a whole race of people dedicated to him and brought the son of God through that bloodline. You talk about multiplying his measure of faith. That is, he asked for a single child. God, through that bloodline, brought about the only child that would set the entire world free. That's insane. When we look at Jesus feeding the 5,000, one boy's lunch surrendered to Jesus in that moment. And Jesus multiplied it to a point where he fed thousands of people. That when we come to God with whatever we have and we just begin to surrender it to him, God does so much more than we can ever imagine. God moves so much more. That as I, when I shared my story for the first time, it's, it's insane to me to think that, that it led to this because all I wanted to do was get up one time and share with adults what had happened. God changed my whole life. And he'll change yours because he multiplies what we give him. He multiplies what we surrender to him. And he uses it in ways that we can never see. God multiplies our measure of faith. Paul says this in Ephesians 3. It's regarded as a prayer of spiritual growth. Starting in 3 verse 16, it says, I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Think about that through his unlimited resource, that as we come to God in faith, in those broken places, feeling like we're unable to take another step, we're unable to do another kind act or, or to go another day, that God through his unlimited resources will supply you with inner strength. That maybe your marriage is on its last leg, but God, when you come to him in faith and you surrender he does a work that's beyond comprehension, beyond your understanding, that whatever it is you come to him with, God does so much more. God moves so much more than we can fathom. And so from his unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may God 
Or may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. In verse 19, it says, may you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Now all glory to God, who is able through his mighty power at work in us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. Isn't that incredible? That, that God is, he's looking to move through your life. He's looking to move through your situation. He's looking to perform miracles. That my story shouldn't be the exception. That your friends, neighbors, brothers, cousins' story should not be the exception. They should be so common that people get tired of hearing how great God is and how much he moves in people's lives and their addicted places. That's what should be taking place because we should become so surrendered that God's moving that way through all of us. Again, I'm not special. I'm surrendered. And anytime I fail to surrender, my life looks exactly like everyone else's. And the only special thing about my life is what God did. And it only comes through being yielded. Anything great in my life came from yielding to Christ. God wants to do infinitely more than we could think or imagine. But we have to be yielded vessels. We have to be surrendered and humbled to his plan and to his purpose. And when we come looking for a mustard seed, God gives us a tree. God does so much more if we'll only give it to him, if we'll only give him the opportunity. Again, point number two, he multiplies our measure of faith. Lastly, I want you to know this, point number three, he walks with those who choose him. He walks with those who choose him. It's, It's amazing to me that I used to think that (laughs) that there were certain people who just, God's favor was just on them so much more than than me. It's like, I'll I'll never have any of that. I'll never be anything. And and the the thing that set them apart, that sets people apart is is their faith. That when you look back, if you go to Hebrews 11 and you look at all these people who did great things through the Bible, the thing that set them apart was faith because of their faith, because of their faith, because of their faith. And you can't have faith without being surrendered. That we've got to surrender to God. And, and that surrender, that's because we have faith, because we trust him, because we believe in, in the unseen. And because of that, because we choose to operate that way, God walks with us. God's looking to walk with you right now. God's looking to walk with you through your marriage. God's looking to walk with you through your addiction. God's looking to walk with you through your depression. Whatever it is in your life right now, God, God wants to walk with you. He's trying to, but we have to begin to open our eyes. We have to choose him. And as we choose him, as we recognize his presence, as we recognize what he's wanting to do in our lives, there he is. He was there all along. So again, point number three, he walks with those who choose him. It's not based on performance. You'll never be good enough. It's not based on your past. Your past may look like mine. And according to everyone else's standard, that should disqualify me. Yours should disqualify you too. God doesn't care. It's not about your pedigree. He doesn't care who your family is, the people you come from. He's looking for one thing. 
surrendered vessels, people who walk in faith and people who choose him. And as we choose God, he walks with us. He walks through our life, through our situations. Nahum, um, which I'm probably butchering that because I'm super redneck, but um, and you're like, is that even in the Bible? It is. If you don't know that, that you know, should alert you to the fact you don't read your Bible enough. Um, <laughs> so Nahum 1 verse 7, it says this, the Lord is good, a strong refuge when trouble comes. He is close to those who trust in him. He's close to those who trust in him. If you look at people and you wonder, what makes them so special? Why do they have a great relationship with God? It's simply because they choose God every day in every situation. That's, that's the only change. That's the only difference. That's the only thing that sets us apart from other people. That's the thing I had to recognize. That's the thing I had to realize. That, that when I walked through my life, 18 years of addiction, it was God's will every second of every day of those 18 years for me to be free of addiction. What took so long? It took me 18 years to choose Christ. That's all it was. I, I wasted almost two decades of my life because I failed to realize that in order to walk with God, I simply just have to choose him. I just had to wake up one day and say, I'm gonna be a Jesus follower. I'm gonna pursue God's will right here. In my marriage, I get to have a good marriage, not because I'm a good husband, not because Janelle's a good wife, because we choose to make him the center of everything. God chooses, God walks with those who choose him. And John, um, John's one of the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. John was a disciple of Jesus. And John 14, um, here Jesus is speaking um, and he says this, he says, if you love me, Obey my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. What Jesus is beginning to re reveal to them here is that he's going to go away. As he goes away, he's going to send the advocate. That's the Holy Spirit. That's the one that lives inside of us, that as we choose God, the reason we're not alone is because his spirit's on the inside of us. That's, that's God's Holy Spirit. He said, I'll send the advocate who will never leave you. Say, never leave you. That's incredible to me. Again, doesn't matter what my past is, who my family was. Doesn't, doesn't matter any of that, that. That when I choose Christ, when I chose him, God chose me. That he, he wanted me from the beginning. And then he indwelled me and he walked with me and walks with me. Who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him. But you know him because he lives with you now and will later be in you. So, such an amazing thing to think about. That God begins to make his home inside of us, to walk with us every day in every situation from the moment of salvation. And so when we choose God, God walks with us. He's with us from every moment. And then it's just a matter of opening our ears and our eyes to what he's trying to do and what he's trying to say. Continues, it says, no, I will not abandon you as orphans. I will come to you. Soon the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. Since I live, you will also live. When I am raised to life again, you will know that I'm in my father and you are in me and I 
am in you. Those who accept my commandments and obey them are the ones who love me. And because they love me, my Father will love them, and I will love them and reveal myself to each of them. Isn't that incredible? That's God's promise to each of us. That as we choose him, he walks with us. He indwells us. He lives in us. His spirit moves through us. He changes stories, changes lives, impacts marriages, impacts families, tears down generational curses, raises people to life. That's God's promise. And it starts with a choice. A moment of surrender where we come to him and just say, I'm through living life my way. And that's the only thing that sets us apart from the life that we want, the relationships that we want, the joy that we want. It's just coming to him and surrender, choosing joy, choosing Jesus. It's God's will to set us free from pain and from hurt, from addiction. God doesn't desire that for you. God doesn't desire that kind of life. But we have to be in surrender. God's looking for yielded vessels. And this past week, <clears throat> Saturday, again, in the middle of the woods on my phone, that's what he gave me. I'm not special. You're not special. We just have to be surrendered. And when we look at those, those other things that we envy in people, the thing that sets them apart was faith, coming to God in a moment of surrender. To recap tonight, point number one was this. God uses what we give him. God uses what we give him. Don't let your past continue to be used by the enemy. Don't let your brokenness continue to weigh you down. Don't let those dark secrets continue to destroy you. Give it to God. God will use it. God will use it in incredible ways. Blows my mind. Number two, he multiplies our measure of faith. When you come to him with something so small, something that you feel like is so insignificant, be prepared to be amazed by what God does with it. All you have to do, though, is just come surrendered. Number three, he walks with those who choose him. Right now, in this moment, God wants to reveal himself to you. God wants your eyes to be open. God wants your heart to be softened. God wants your ears ready to hear because he wants to walk with you. He's attempting to, but we have to choose him. We have to surrender to him. We have to yield to him. And in those moments, he reveals himself to us. And so all of this that we talked about tonight, the way God moves, the way God's moved in my life, you know, it started with the decision that, that as I began to look back on, on 18 years of addiction and brokenness and depression, that all changed because of one decision. The same decision you can make tonight. So if you're in here and you're envious, <laughs> you don't have to be. Only one thing sets us apart. That if you're in here and, and you're just ready for something different and you're wondering when, when God, tonight, he can start that tonight. 
And it starts with the decision, a decision of surrender. And so if you're in here tonight and you're ready to make that decision, to choose Jesus, to give it all to him and to recognize that he's the son of God, that he died for you and you're ready to accept him as your savior, I wanna encourage you that here at the end of service, when we close, to come down front and just begin to pray and allow us to pray with you and to lead you into salvation. It's the greatest decision you'll ever make. It's the greatest decision you'll make. And if you're in here and you've done that before, maybe you got, got off track. I get it. We do that from time to time. And you realize that, that you need to recommit. You realize that you've drifted. <laughs> you just refuse to let go. And you're ready tonight to let go and to let God. And you want to recommit? Same offer stands. We want to encourage you to come down front and recommit your life. And then maybe you're in here and, and God's just been dinging you. His Holy Spirit has just been tapping on his shoulder and, and saying, that right there, I want to deal with that. That spot, stop holding on to that. Let me handle it. If, if, if he's been dealing with you, I want to encourage you to come down to step out of your seat in faith and pick up a white chip. There's nothing special about this, but I believe that when we act in faith, that moment of surrender, that, that's signified by walking out of our seat that God takes that, God uses that. That moment of yielding, that's what's significant. This is just a piece of plastic, but that act of faith, that's real, that's special. And so if you're in here and you're ready to set something down, I wanna encourage you to come get a white chip tonight. And then lastly, maybe you just need prayer. You're in here and you just, you just want somebody to journey with you. You want somebody to, to pray with you, to just know what's going on to journey with you. We want to do that. I want you to know that this is a house of prayer and we would love to pray with you and for you about whatever's going on in your life. And so tonight for any of those things, whether it's to give your life to Jesus for the first time, to recommit, to get a white chip, or just to come down in prayer, we want to encourage you just to step out of your seat and walk down the aisle in faith. And if everybody would in this moment, if you would stand to your feet as we close in worship.